I want to say thanks to all the graduating seniors uh, who we watched play this year. Wished it would have turned out better, but it was great, great being able to watch all of them. NAU did not turn out to be a dark horse playoff contender at the end of the year like we thought they would be at that time. So, one of the best days a Vandal quarterback has ever had. It's going to be interesting media day next year. I'll tell you that. Hashtag haters going to hate. Welcome back, Tribe from the North Brave and Bold to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals. I am your host, Chris, and with me I have Brian. Good to be here, Chris. And we have Martin back with us. Martin, how are you doing? I am doing great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. You know, we we got to cover, cover a pretty, I don't know, surprising for us, maybe not so much for some other people's season here from the Idaho Vandals. Um, on this episode that's brought to you by Montucky Cold Snacks, ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born right here in majestic Big Sky Country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donate 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho. 8% of their profits are donated to local organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw, that's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American lager for pow pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks around the bar. Really quick, we had a nice 60 to 53 nice. overtime win at. Northern Arizona in front of a measly 5,120 people in the walk-up Sky Dome. Uh, any recaps or takeaways other than we won? Yeah, I mean, the big thing, of course, is Mason Petrino had one of the best days a Vandal quarterback has ever had. Yes, a yeah. uh, couple, couple statistics about that. Um, Martin, you have any takeaways or recaps? It reminded me of being back in the whack, as I said on Twitter to Colton on Saturday. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Why is that? Just was high scoring, no no defense, just everybody just everybody just pretty much just high scoring, high scoring and no defense. On either side. There were what, like four punts the entire game? Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, for me, I pretty much said it that uh, I thought this game was going to be big in terms of uh, finally getting over that hump of not winning on the road. So at least going into next year, we don't have the story of two years in the FCS. We've never ran a, or won a road game. At least now we can be like, we won a road game. Now let's just focus on winning more, you know, in the 2020 season. Anyways, as some people would like to say, it's time for the haters to hate. And we will let you guys hate on seeing what we got right and what we got wrong as we're going to run through some of our preseason projections. And uh, after that, we'll be doing hashtag AskTTCs where we'll be answering everybody's hashtag AskTTC on all Vandals and Twitter and Facebook. So we hopefully we'll get to all your questions. We're recording a little bit earlier than normal. We're recording Monday night just because holidays, so people have some schedule scheduling issues. Um but yeah, let's kick it off here with the pre- and this kind of stinks because we don't have the list yet. 
Um, so I guess I want to hear from you guys. We're going to run through our preseason All-American picks and our preseason All-Conference picks. And I want to know from you guys now if you think that they have a chance um, to still make an All-American or All-Conference team. So for All-American, we had Noah Johnson, who is unanimous, <laughs> who's picked by all of us unanimously. Uh, Kate Coffey as well. You had Noah Ellis, which Martin picked as an All-American. And you had Jeff Cotton, which Sean picked as an All-American. Of those four, do you think any of those four have a chance to make any of the All-American teams? Brian? I think I think Noah Johnson's got a chance now, full disclosure, like everyone in the world. Unless you watch football for the offensive line, it is kind of hard to tell which individual offensive lineman is an All-American. Uh, but I think Noah Johnson, uh, certainly that could be on the table. I think Jeff Cotton, I think he's not going to be an All-American because he missed a couple games. Um, but... I think if he played a full schedule, he'd be All-American. Uh, I'd say with Noah Ellis, uh, no way. Martin, you sticking with your Noah Ellis pick, or you want to no, mix it up a little I, bit? No, I, I, I agree with Brian. I think if Jeff played a full, played all the games, he probably would have made first or second team All-American or All-Conference. And uh, the same thing with Noah, at least like, it's kind of, unless you're watching for that stuff, you're not really going to, gonna notice it yeah i think at this point noah johnson's probably our only chance i think the only reason he gets it like you guys said is he's just the known commodity um he was on it last year he was preseason this year so i think he gets it i think everybody else probably is gonna miss it and like i said with jeff cotton when i just said there's so many good wide receivers in the fcs i will say i didn't think jeff cotton was gonna show out as much as he did but that being said he also missed some games and i think that's I'm going to hurt him a little bit in the voters' eyes, but he may have a shot here. Predicted all-conference. We had Noah Johnson, Kate Coffey, predicted by all, obviously. We had Jeff Cotton was predicted by everybody to make all-conference team. Satchel Escalante. Escalante. Escalante, uh, who transferred out. So that was picked by me. He obviously didn't make it. I also picked Christian Ellis. He didn't make it. And I picked Devontae Ginwright, and he didn't make it. TJ had a bold prediction of Mason Petrino. Out of all those seven guys, who do you think has a legit shot to be um, predicted all-conference? Is there anybody else on the team that you think uh, will probably make all-conference this year? So Jeff Cotton, I just want to throw some stats out for people. He led the big sky in receptions per game at 8.2. He led the big sky in receiving yards per game at 117.5 with a significant quarterback limitation that, let's say, guys on Montana and northern Arizona did not have. So even though he missed a couple games we talked about for All-American, I think Jeff Cotton absolutely deserves first-team all-conference as a wide receiver. Cade Coffey, he had injury issues, so I think because of that, there's just no way. Uh, you know, his accuracy was not what it was the year before. And NAU's got a pretty good kicker who will probably take that all-conference. Uh, but then, from defensively, Charles Okano was hurt halfway through the year. He was on pace to potentially be a defensive player of the year nominee. Just want to bring that up so we so we acknowledge his work. And I'd say I think Christian Ellis, Trey Walker, and Lloyd Hightower are potential candidates for All Big Sky. Martin? You took my person. I was gonna say. I was gonna say Trey. I think Trey Walker might have an outside chance of getting in. I don't know if he'll make it over 
uh, some of the others in the big sky. But yeah, he took him on. And I think same with Jeff. He's probably going to make it with what he did this year. Yeah, I think obviously Jeff Cotton should be. Um, the only question there will be if he falls to second team just because he did miss that time. But, I mean, all in all, he was easily one of the most dominant receivers right up there with the two Montana guys uh, in the league. And then NAU had some guys who really showed out. But um, looking at other players, I actually think Trey Walker has a good shot. And it's kind of – I I mean, we vote kind of on it for our Big Sky podcast. When I was just doing some stats, I was surprised – to find out that Trey Walker is like, God, I, I'm probably I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think he was like seventh or eighth in the nation for solo tackles. So and then like tenth for tackles per game. So I was I saw that and I'm like, he was number one in the Big Sky, and so that's where I was like, if anything, he has a shot at like Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Sky for how just like much you know Dante Olson was famous last year for making tackles. And then Trey Walker was the guy this year that led the whole, almost the whole nation in tackles. So I was surprised with Trey Walker. I'd love to see it. Um, I don't know if he made enough of an impact to make it. I think Lloyd Hightower has a shot. I believe he has, uh, what, two defensive touch, uh, maybe a third defensive touchdown. Um, plus, uh, God, I want to say like three or four picks, two fumble recoveries. Like, Lloyd Hightower had a great senior year. I think he deserves to maybe get a second team or first team nod. I know um, Northern Arizona and I think Portland State have some pretty good DBs. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, Charles O'Connor was obviously on pace until he had the Achilles injury. I think Christian Ellis kind of had a quiet year. Not a bad year. Um, maybe not quite the step forward we were projecting him to make, but he still had a very solid year, but maybe not enough to make an all-conference team, especially when you're, you know, playing on a five and seven team um not as many players are going to get taken as like a weaver states or montana where your team is you know a top six seed in the playoffs so um i really think yeah it's probably going to come down to cotton noah johnson and then maybe trey walker then we had uh, one person predict a all freshman that was chris i picked nikhil nair we all know that that didn't happen he only got like 10 snaps this year um, but now we're going to roll through, and Brian, you weren't on this podcast last year, but obviously you were a listener, so what we do is we went to the preview podcast, and oh, I took some memorable quotes from most games, and what we're going to do is read those out, and we're going to guess who said it. The oh, preview gosh. podcast, for those that weren't oh, listening, gosh. were Martin, myself, Sean, TJ, and Brian did send us in some written responses um, with picks. And then for each game, if you could kind of just give me like a quick, you know, three to five sentences on just like what this game, you know, review to how this game felt in terms of the greater scheme of the season now. Obviously, we're starting at Penn State. Um, Who predicted that the opening kickoff would be taken by Idaho down to the Penn State 20? Martin? You, Chris. Um, Brian, who do you think? I'm going to say TJ. It was actually Sean Kramer. He was the only one that had anything memorable to say about this game. Everybody else pretty much projected it to be an L. Um, In fact, all of us predicted losses, and it was actually a loss. So there's that. Um, Brian, what were kind of your – any takeaways from this game? I mean, for me, I know I'll start. I just – this game is exactly what we thought it was. I think I almost predicted the score – give or take like six points. 
Um, it was a money game. We took our payday, and we ran. And, uh, yeah. Man, I, I felt like I wanted – I wish we could have ignored the results of the Penn State game. Obviously, we didn't have – the the result of Penn State replicated against the Big Sky precisely, although Sac State uh, was closer than you might guess. I feel that looking back now, we should have seen that game and said, look, we're not going to be that bad, but a good team's not losing to anyone by 72. Yeah. Martin? Which, uh, what, Brian, it, I didn't learn much from that game. It was take your money and run, get out of get out of town kind of quickly. Yeah, if anything, we learned that Nick Romano was actually going to get to take some snaps this year, which was kind of cool. Um, oh, actually, there was one last thing we learned. Yeah. like we, we tried to not beat the dead horse, and when we say the dead horse, everyone knows what I'm talking it's about. Competition. Uh, but we knew when Mason came in for that drive when they had good field position because of the punt, I think everyone knew at that second that there's no competition going on. Yeah. Um, you armchair analyst, you, um, <laughs> next we have central Washington. Uh, I want to know who you guys think said, I don't know where you guys think we are good at these money games. We lost to a top ranked Eastern team when we were in the FBS. Why do you think it'll be any difference versus a D two team in the FCS? That sounds contrarian. Like it might've been me, but I wasn't on the show. So I'm going to say sounds almost... Sean. I'm going to go TJ. That was me. Uh, and then on this one, we all actually predicted a lot or a win. Sorry. So we all are actually <laughs> had the Vandals at one and one at this point. Um, what I remember from this game was knowing going in that I thought it was going to be a little bit difficult. Um, but what I really remember about this game was the Pluto sports just tirade I went on for not being able to get the game oh, and then it going shit. out and then it having to switch. But then we were like not playing well enough that I just didn't even care to turn on the second half. That's what I remember from this game. Yeah, I remember us being tied. I was there. I remember us being tied at halftime and again thinking there's no way this is a good team. But the positive thing that did generalize is one, that was kind of Andre Carter's coming out party. 17 carries, 123 yards in that game. And Andre Carter did turn out to generalize from that performance. He is good. He is going to be good for a lot of years. And also, we dominated time of possession that game. And that, to me, was a little bit of evidence that defensively, we truly might be stronger than we were the year before. Martin? No. Uh, I What I learned was it was... I wouldn't say I really learned anything from that game other than we beat we beat a, a I don't know how they finished here, but like a good D2 team. And there's one thing that I noticed was like they don't like they didn't learn from their mistakes. I couldn't remember was it did they get beat one twice? Once or twice twice two times or three times on the uh that like reverse pass they ran against us. It was they twice. Got, we got burned a couple of times and that was just I was like, they're not learning from their mistakes, it looked like. Their, their wide defensive wise, yeah, their wide receivers went two for two for ninety nine yards and two touchdowns, which is why they were competitive. Yeah, and then after Central, we took our uh, game and tried to make a win streak out of it down in Laramie, Wyoming. Somebody said, "I love this on this schedule." On the schedule, 
these Mountain West games on the schedule, even if we play well and lose, we can take things away from them, especially as we head into Eastern. That almost sounds you. like me. It was, I thought that'd be Chris. It, it was Sean Kramer, actually. Whoa. Yeah, he was a big proponent of the Mountain West game. Um, everybody predicted an L on this, um, which means everybody up to this point had the Vandals at exactly uh, one and two, which I remember coming in, we were all talked about like how our schedule was pretty much set up to like we weren't going to know anything about this team until week four. And that's what this game was. But I remember the Hayden Hatton one-armed catch from the double pass from DJ Lee. Um, I remember like being really excited about this game um, going into it and telling TJ right beforehand, I know I picked us to lose, but I have a really good feeling. And then, I mean, we almost did it. And I think this was a yeah. point in the season where a lot of people kind of were like, okay, you know what? Now that the season's kind of rolling and we aren't playing D2, we aren't playing, you know, Big Ten. We hung with Wyoming. Maybe the season won't be that bad. I had a similar feeling, and also that was the game where Mason, while you were watching Mason, because he did make a couple throws longer than he made all of the year before, it looked, a lot of Idaho people were like me, and they're like, oh my lord, Mason looks good, but then after the fact, he's he's sub-50% completion percentage, no touchdowns. Um, He should have had a touchdown, but... He didn't. Um, so I remember after that game thinking, the further I got away, it's kind of like the Idaho State game, which we'll get to, Chris, uh, which you talked about on the podcast. The further you got away, your feelings changed. In the moment, I thought there's a chance Mason could be more than he was. Then the further I got away and replayed it in my head, I thought, no, that's not the case. But the other thing we learned, too, is that we had – now, people may have forgotten about Roshan Johnson because he got hurt this year, but Roshan had a pretty good game there, too. Mm-hmm. And so my other takeaway was we got two stud running backs. That was before Nick Romano had done a ton. And defensively, we hung with the team that couldn't pass. And I think all of us kind of – we we may have moved away from the story throughout the year of Idaho matchup, who we play well with, and it shifted to are we a home and away team or do we show up for some teams and not show up for others? And I think if you look at this game, this is the example of no, it was it's always been about matchups. The other stuff, I, it, it's interesting and it's fun to talk about, but the core thing is matchup. I mean, I think I pretty much learned like, like I think I think I think I thought you you and yeah, you mentioned something like at the game like on Twitter like just you and me and like it was like this team can hang with teams that can't pass the ball because like our run defense was just like for dead times was just amazing, and that was like the game where like Charles Ocano and I think I want to say chaotic. Somebody else on the D line was just dominating, getting tackles for loss, hitting hitting their quarterback, just making life miserable for the Wyoming offense. Yeah. Um, then it came into the Eastern Washington game. Um, I want to know who called Eastern Washington the class of the Big Sky. I'm gonna say that was me. Yeah, I'm going to go. That was Brian. It was Brian. Nice job. We have three people's quotes on this one. Um, Who said, I have this down as the most important game of the season. Who it is and where it lies in our schedule. But this is a tune-up game, and we win it in the Kibbe Dome. TJ. You. Chris. TJ. Uh, How is it going to play out? 
We are going to lose. Okay? We are going to lose. Sean. Yeah, that that was a Sean Kramer for sure. Um, uh, TJ and I obviously were the only two that picked a win. Um, you three all picked L's, and then obviously they ended up winning. So at this point, I was four and zero for the season. Um, and I just remember taking away from this game was, I remember it being about as happy as I had been since the 2016 humanitarian bowl, or sorry, famous Idaho potato bowl. Uh, what just like. I didn't even care, like 28 zip at half, and I just like you had the feeling that we weren't going to blow it. And even when we started to blow it, um, I didn't even physically like think we could blow it, which is why I prematurely sent that text with like seven minutes left to the Eagles fans and Nation account talking crap. Um, and that's what I remember <laughs> from this game was being just super happy, almost like euphoric happy, and then almost jumping the gun and getting a uh, screenshotted tweet that I would never be able to live down. <laughs> you know, my big takeaway in that game was I remember first, it was just fun and, and confusing to be in the Kibbe Dome when we were beating the hell out of a, a team that we thought was much better than they turned out to be. Well, Eastern, Eastern wasn't a bad team this year. No, they, but they, they were, were certainly not. Probably, a, what, last eight out of the playoffs? I mean... They were, they were yeah, close. Probably, probably last eight out, but at the time we thought this was a top five team yep. that we were that we were up twenty eight to zero at halftime. I remember in the second half feeling two things. One, I was a bit floored with how Eastern was dead set on trying to establish the run when we just weren't giving them space. And then the second half was when they let Eric Berrier throw it a little bit more, and that, especially in the fourth quarter, is when they made their move. Uh, but that was a game where it seemed like, okay, maybe the first two we could go out the window if we played well against Wyoming and we just beat Eastern Washington. Maybe maybe this team is more than we think. Maybe the weaknesses, I didn't think we would have improved enough. Maybe I'm just wrong. It was pretty much like... That is- I remember going into like at halftime being like, oh, bleep, they're doing this. I can't believe they're doing this. And then just me, you feel you, you guys were at the goal at the game. You probably saw me on the, the screen just sitting behind my friend who was the dancing guy just with my hands in front of my face like, don't blow this, don't blow this, don't blow this. I was a nervous wreck that game. That's all I remember from that one. Yeah, and if anything, looking back on it now, this was the perfect encapsulation of the entire season. Um, teams that we thought were going to be really good didn't end up being. I mean, everybody – I saw Ryan Collinworth's tweet today that, like, if at the beginning of the season you told me that four Big Sky teams would be seated in the FCS playoffs, I would have told you you're crazy. If you would have told me that none of those teams would be UC Davis or Eastern Washington, I would have called you absolutely insane and not had believed you. And that's kind of how this year was. I mean, everybody thought Eastern and UC Davis were pegged as legitimate national title contenders. I mean, I believe they were ranked like both in the top five in the beginning of the year where Montana wasn't even ranked and Montana state was like 20th Sac state was towards the bottom of the entire conference. And then Weber state had some respect, but I think they're at like 11th or 10th. Um, but, yeah, it was a typical way of that. A bunch of teams we didn't expect to be good were good. Just like last year, you know, our schedule wasn't quite how it was, even though we had a lot easier schedule this year, I think. But then, you know, second half, we just 
we couldn't hold teams off, and we almost blew a very important game. Um, Wait, can, then, can we oh, spend two more seconds on this real yeah. quick? This was also the game to me where we'll probably get back to this in the hashtag AskTATCs. I remember trying to pump the brakes a teeny bit on the show after Mason had, at the time, his best game. Mm-hmm. About how, like, it's great that he had a good game. This is not average. And that was when Paul had that great press conference. Yeah. When he t- talked to a media that had not been critical of him really at all. And had not brought up the Mason nepotism thing really at all. And talked about how people didn't like his son, which of course was a wretched mischaracter- mischaracterization of how people actually feel. But also, I mean, that antagonism towards the fan base, if, if we play this back, every, just about every single time Mason had a good game, we heard our vandals attacking the fans in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, happened North Dakota the year before, happened Eastern here. We'll we'll probably talk about the other thing that happened after Mason's last game too, mm-hmm. uh, but we yes, had we the big defiant press conference and then a huge fall that lasted for like a month or a month and a half. Yeah, I'm telling you this this game was the capital like our entire season in one game. That's how I view. It. Other than we won, that that's about the only difference. But there was so much in that game that just captured the entire season's essence. Um, Crazy, crazy. Um, speaking of crazy, next after that, coming off the big, I think they were ranked 11 at the time, upset of Eastern Washington, we traveled to Greeley, Colorado to face Northern Colorado. Who didn't know if they played indoors or outdoors? TJ. Sean. It was Sean. Um, who said... We are going to start running the ball more in the high altitude, and I think we will win by 24 points at least. That's me. I almost can guarantee that was me. That we did score 24. That was Martin. Um, and I wanted to point out to you that uh, we threw the ball 33 times in that game, which was tied for fourth most for the season. <laughs> um they won't finish high in the big sky, but they won't be a default last place. Idaho won't get up on the road. Is that you? You. I guess, yeah. When you write these, you realize, like, if you, everyone remembers who we predicted to win, that obviously I'd be the only one that predicted we lost, which was true. Everybody else had a win. I predicted an L, um, which means at this point I was the only one still batting perfect at 5-0 and oh, um, on how our season was going to go. What I remember from this game the most was just being so upset and I kind of wore it as a buy because in the preseason I had predicted this, that when we started to collapse in the second half, plus I was out volunteering watching it on my phone, I just, uh, I remember going like, of course, I I didn't think we were going to win this game. Um, But it still like stung me because I remember like people actually texting me after Eastern like, Oh, dude, who do we have this week? We're looking pretty good this year, right? Like, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we just beat Eastern. We will be probably a little bit good this year. And I was like, whoa, we're playing like the consensus worst team in the big skies. And then I started to buy into that um, mentality. And then obviously it bit us in the butt. And I should have stuck to my original prediction of an L. But on that podcast, I did predict a win. Um, and obviously we came out with the with the L. I just remember after this game, after the Northern Colorado, like, 
shouldn't say after like as the game got worse and worse i just remember seeing like it's the same old vandals that we're seeing of just blowing leads petrino losing his cool and just making everything like, like not just the obvious people but like just everybody making I forgot the same about old that. dumb that, mistakes this was the back-to-back petrino on sportsman likes right I, I yeah. don't know how anyone could – I mean, I, I forgive you, Chris. We did a lot. I have no idea how anyone <laughs> could forget the default fourth turnover by Mason and then Paul doubling down. So we went from fourth and two to fourth and 32. That was one of the dumbest events in all of sports I've ever seen. I am counting at watching Shaq and a Fool videos every week. Yeah, that that game was ridiculous. Um, God, I can't believe that. Um well, next up, we had Weber State. This was kind of where you're going to see, like, all right, you know, Northern Colorado was an upset, but we beat Eastern. Is Eastern any good? Like, at this point, people thought Eastern was going to bounce back. Um, so we didn't really know what to expect into this game. But um, I want to know, uh, let's see, who called them Barbecue State? That was Martin. Yep. Yep. Uh, after the Eastern Washington win, people will be looking to get tickets, and we will see a three-point win. TJ. I'm going to say Chris. Yeah, I know it wasn't it, me. It, it was me, and as far as people trying to buy tickets, only 5,947 people showed up to the Dome in that one, so I was wrong on that too. Um, we won't win, but we will look like we belong enough so that we beat Portland State next week. Oh, uh, that sounds like a Sean tweet, Sean comment. Yeah, I'll say Sean. Yeah, that that was Sean. Um, I keep forgetting that I wasn't there, so I can't say myself. You, we have <laughs> you in on a couple. Like I definitely yeah. have you on a few, um, but your takes are a little less hot usually. <laughs> um, so myself, TJ, and Martin all predict wins. Sean and Brian predicted L's. Um, this game, I just remember being like, you know what? We are just going to be the same old Vandals. We're going to play a lot better at home, and we're probably not going to win a single road game. Um, you know, that's what we did. We were competitive at home. We were, I believe, leading at one point or really close, enough so to yeah. where even FCS Fans Nation was like tweeting like, hey, if you're not tuning in, Idaho is hanging with Weber. Like, who is this team at home? They might – be the best home team in the FCS. And then we we lost it, but still against a really competitive team. And we only ended we up covered. by six points. We covered the spread. <laughs> but, so that's another thing that I think people just forgot about when I, you know, I talked about matchups earlier. Weber State do- doesn't pass that well. And we we were competitive with teams you know, in, in the trenches. So of elite teams, Weber State was the type of team we were set up to play well against. Which is why, again, like I, I think it was so easy to shift the how we played on the road versus at home um, to, to, you know, did we show up, did we not show up? Um, instead of looking at Weber State couldn't spread the ball out that well and they don't score. Even when they play well, they don't, they don't typically score like 50 points. So this was the kind of team that if we're going to stay competitive, this was the team we'd do it against. Martin, any takeaways? No, it was the thing because I was like, I remember, like, as Romano returned that kick, I was like, well, we covered. <laughs> yep. Good teams that, win, great teams cover. That was also our second consecutive Mason uh, multiple turnover game. He had three yeah. lost fumbles that game. 
Like, um, there's also, like, another small thing. I remember that being, like, by far, like, I know I've kind of tweeted, like, uniform combination stuff, but that was, like, by far my least favorite uniform combo that's this season. What do they wear? I don't even remember. Uh, gold helmet, black jersey, and the silver or gray pants. I can't remember what color they are. Yeah. Officially I, called. We need to stick to gold lids, black tops, gold pants, or white. Black, or white. black pants, too. But I know we got rid of the white helmets, but yeah, I just, just the white bottoms just don't look good with the gold helmets at home. Like yeah, and gold is our color. So, um, anyways, Portland State. We went down to Portland or over to Portland or whatever. I think it's down and oh, over, but God. it's not going to be easy. They've recruited well and aren't bad, but we will get the win. That's that sounds like you. I think, I think it kind of sounds a little Brianish to me. That was a Sean comment. Who thought that they ran the triple option? That was me. And I know, I remember this. You do remember all your own comments. <laughs> uh, uh, the uniforms are green like Cal Poly. We can forgive the, the <laughs> misunderstanding there. Um, who called it the Hillsboro thingamajig it and predicted we would smoke the Vikings 50 to 11? TJ. TJ. That, yeah. that was me. That was me. Oh, that is a very TJ sounding Hillsboro thingy majig it. But TJ stuck to the whole Portland Timbers. I hate the Timbers thing. Um, everybody picked L's here, and uh, obviously, or everybody picked wins here, and it was an L. Um, you know, I was at this game, and all I remember was being like just so upset because the performance was so unenthusiastic from the team. And the fans were pretty enthusiastic. Two-thirds at least of that stadium were Vandal fans. And they traveled so well. And we got loud. And it was a ton of fun. And I can't wait till we play down there again. But, man, like having a performance like that against a very middle of the road, I mean, that's where I felt like I knew the season was done. Um, so I do kind of remember this being the game where I was like, if we can't beat Portland State, we're done. Because I do remember I didn't say this either on the comments. I said, you know, I called that this would be a bring-your-own-energy game, like I said about Northern Colorado, but we will have learned from our mistakes at Northern Colorado, and we will beat Portland State. And we did not learn, or learn from our mistakes in this game, and we lost. We got shut out, actually, and just looked terrible. Yeah, that game... Now, that's Mason's third multiple turnover game in a row. And I remember that game as one, the offense was appalling. It was a no-show. But still, you know, this was a theme for us. Our defense was improved from last year. We ha- Our defense had bright spots. If, you know, we gave up 24 points that game. If we gave up an average of 24 points a game in the big sky, we would have had the fourth best scoring defense on this league, if you give up 24 points, you should win that game. But we, our offense, just like the season showed, our offense was atrocious, and it was particularly atrocious there. All right. Next, we had Idaho State and the Battle of the Domes. What TJ would have claimed was one of the ones you have to win. He wanted Idaho State, Eastern, and Montana State. That being said, who said Paul is going to want to beat them down like they beat us in Pocatello? That was me. That was Martin. You remember all your own comments. Yep. Um, <laughs> this is the game I want to win the most. Sean. 
that was actually that was a TJ. Chris. Yeah, it was a TJ. This is the second most important game of the year. Not you, Sean. It was it was Brian. Huh? Wax Sparty Pants needs to stay tuned. And that was you. Yeah, Yeah. that was me. Um, We all picked wins here, and we all got wins here. All I remember from this game was consolation prize. Um, Season was pretty much over. We needed to win this. At this point, it was, I only want to beat Idaho State and Montana. Be the whole beat the rivals thing. It cemented the we're better, different team at home narrative. Um, But this is more of, and it was the Colton Richardson game where he played so good, and then Nikhil Nair got in as well, which was awesome to see, even though it was very, very brief, and his stats are misleading because there's like three drop catches or passes. Um, so you kind of got to see what maybe next year would look like with or possibly the rest of the season we were thinking at this point with Colton throwing the rock and Nikhil Nair being the bona fide backup, and, you know, it worked. And then when he went out, we switched completely to ground and pound, run out the clock, Barney ball, Hauk ball, whatever you want to call it, control the time of possession. And uh, if it wasn't for a couple defensive touchdowns, we might have lost it. But uh, either way, Colton put us in enough of a lead that we would have won no matter what happened there at the end. They didn't. It's not like we didn't score enough at the end. Colton had scored enough to get the win. It just would have been a lot more interesting had we not had the defensive touchdowns at the end. Yeah, I think now two things. One – we thought this was a better win at the time that it turned out to be. This was Idaho State's first win in a in a still active, even though the season's over, six-game losing streak. Idaho State absolutely fell apart. That was when Matt Strzok started having difficulty throwing touchdowns to the other team. He contributed 21 points to us. My biggest memory from that is finally seeing what does Jeff Cotton look like when he can catch a pass beyond 12 yards. 10 receptions, 192 yards, and one touchdown. And that's with roughly three quarters of action because, you know, after uh, Colton went down, we did essentially just run run the ball every play. I, I'm going to be 100% honest. I was in the alumni band, and I got a lot of free booze that game, so I don't remember much from this game. One thing I do remember, someone like I remember was picking somebody up and like piggybacking them after the uh, Cedric Thomas fumble re- interception re- interception return for a touchdown and just like completely like like injuring my arm that game. Yeah, <laughs> oh, and that was the other thing. I was ecstatic that Lloyd Hightower had such a huge game. Yeah, he an interception it. return for a touchdown and a fumble recovery return for a touchdown. Him and Noah Johnson, we loved interviewing them in, on media at media days. They were great. Both those guys are great contributors, and it's real cool to see a guy, you know, who's like a, a cornerback, who doesn't necessarily get the same kind of attention that a quarterback or a wide receiver does. It's great to see a guy you really want to root for having just a career day, and that's what we saw out of Lloyd Hightower. Yeah, which just to cover Lloyd Hightower a little bit, like this game was so big for him. I still think he got robbed not being national player of the year or week for this. I don't remember who got it, but I even looked at their stats. It was like the guy had like 22 tackles or something. I was like, that is not more impressive than like two defensive touchdowns, six tackles, and a like pick. And like, I just like, he deserved it. And then like Brian said, at media days, 
he said all the right things. He had the right demeanor, which as for a cornerback we've learned, most of these cornerbacks, they have to be like loud, smoky, like talking in your face, like personalities to be able to be recognized. Um, you look at like the Richard Shermans, the Cortland Finnegan's, the, you know, Daryl Revis's. They had to be like outwardly and loud spoken and trash talky. Um, <laughs> Jalen Ramsey. But Lloyd isn't that. He's very well spoken. He has a very calm demeanor. And you could tell he's like a natural leader. Um, like, he's the kind of guy that if he gets mad, you're probably actually listening because you know you screwed up. And so it was really good to see have him have, him have a game like that, especially against Idaho State, um, which is a team that torched that defense last year, him included, to have him have a really awesome game. That was really cool to see because Lloyd Hightower is a guy we will definitely miss in this program. Yeah, he's like Noah Johnson to me. He's a guy that because he's not on offense – well, Noah's, Noah's on offense, but you guys know what I mean – because he's not catching touchdowns or throwing touchdowns or running for touchdowns, it's easy to miss them having great games. It was it was fantastic for Lloyd to have a game like that where it was not possible to miss how how well he played. Yeah, and that brought us to a, another home game, Cal Poly. Some games they score 10 points, some games they score 40 points, so it could be scary. And some sometimes they score nine. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Sean's comment. Um, we will hold Cal Poly to less than a hundred yards rushing. Me, <laughs> Martin. Do you know how many yards we held them rushing? I don't remember it off the top of my head. One hundred and forty-five. So you were pretty darn close for Cal Poly. I'll say that's still an impressive hold. Yeah, um, yeah forty-eight rush attempts, so three yards a carry. Yeah. Um, everybody predicted wins here. To be honest with you, this was the game that uh, I didn't even watch. So, or no, 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 that was Sac State I didn't even watch. Um, this was the game that I just didn't care about, I guess, because at this point I was shifting gears to at Montana. Um, like I said, I Idaho State was a consolation prize in my mind. It didn't really change anything to the season. However, I do remember um, this game being like you kind of thought, well – this is where we started playing with the idea. If we beat Cal Poly, and then we beat Montana, and then we beat Sac State, and then we beat Northern Arizona, we still have a crack at the playoffs, like outside. But if Montana's still good and Sac State's still good, and we were trying to do all the math to justify it, and it just came down to the scheduling wasn't there for the other teams. They were going to beat each other up like they did. And then obviously NAU did not turn out to be a dark horse playoff contender at the end of the year like we thought they would be at that time. So... I just remember this game being like trying to fill it with possibilities, but there's just empty promises. This was one of the most boring games I've watched in my entire life of any sport whatsoever. I'm counting figure skating. And I remember leaving that, leaving that game being completely out on the whole era, uh, the whole Paul Petrino era. You know, Mason came back. He, it's not like Mason played poorly. He had a you know an average, not particularly great game, but no turnovers. That's where his, his uh, turnover streak ended. Uh, but we scored 21 points against a Cal Poly team that looked abysmal. Cal Poly tied for last place in the conference. And I, I've never experienced a win except maybe Central Washington this year, where afterward I was more turned off. I just remember from that game, like I think it was I think it was you, Brian. I think I said a. Uh... Here's the tweet. I think I said a uh, 
somehow Idaho can be dominant and still keep things close. This team will always. I just remember thinking, like, I was thinking, and I told you, I was like, this team will always confuse me, even when they look dominant. And it just was. They play either down or sometimes they play up to their competition. Yeah. Um, which then takes us to the little brown Stein, who said they want us to they they want to do to us this year what they did to us last year, and they'll want to do that every year. Or sorry, they want to do this year and every year like they did to us last year. We lose. You. That was Sean, um, who said, we used up our upset. It isn't happening here, but we will do better than last year. TJ. That was me. Uh, oh, man, I was about to double down on Chris guesses. <laughs> <laughs> we aren't to the level of Montana hating us yet. That, you, Brian. That, sounds, that sounds like TJ. That was me. After insulting Montana, who said the Grizz fan pod doesn't listen to us anyways? You. <laughs> that, that was me. I don't know why. I, I Man, I had all the hot takes on this one, which makes sense because apparently that uh, episode was very controversial in some of the Big Sky Podcast Network's uh, spheres, unfortunately. Um <laughs> That being said, Martin was the only one that picked a W. The rest of us took L's all the way through, um, which obviously Idaho ended up losing. So, um, Martin, at this point, you were not doing good uh, in the yeah, final standings. But Mr. Positive, as people <laughs> cause probably found out by now. Yeah. Um, this game, I remember. I Actually, this game, I remember more of the post-podcast drama from it of um, – I don't know. We we went a little hard on Montana, and then Alex Boatman started the post-Montana podcast just, like, insulting the entire state of Montana. And as you would expect, people in Montana didn't take good kindly to that, just like we wouldn't if they said it about Idaho. Um, I feel like all that more overshadowed the game. But all I do remember is being able to leave halftime happy saying I can go out to the parking lot and know that I'm not going to get my ass chewed for us being terrible because I think we were only down by three or four going into halftime. Um, and I was super happy about it. And I kind of knew right when Dalton Sneed came in, I turned to Taylor Cash and said, oh, crap, we're screwed. And that's pretty much how that game happened. I still remember, and I have to reiterate this, that it is one of the nicest facilities I've ever been to. It's definitely the nicest in the big sky probably one of the tops in the FCS. I still just don't think it was that loud. Now, a lot of the Grizz fans, like if you get, if you get them to just talk about that game, they, they agree that, that the game against us was actually quieter than they expected. They felt that that was not close to peak Washington Grizzly. Which is weird because we were winning at one point, but I think it was because we were winning so quickly with the three turnovers I think they were almost just, like, punched in the face, like, in shock. Like, whoa. Like, not enough to be like, get louder. We need to get on top of this team. They are almost like, what the heck is happening? And then by the time Sneed came in, they saw how different their offense looked. They realized they weren't really needed anymore and that the team was just going to take care of business like they did. But, yeah, it was a weird game because they were kind of loud at the beginning, 
like first two minutes and then like honestly like not <laughs> not loud yeah my takeaway uh was i was astonished at how much how complimentary the montana fans were mason had four turnovers that game uh past 21 for 41 and now he did have some good runs he did a great job of evading sacks a couple times i've just never seen anyone complimented so much for turning the ball over four times and our team scoring 17 points uh you know that second half it felt like you know like you said chris we 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 forced three turnovers on montana's first three possessions and we're losing at halftime it felt like the avalanche was coming and uh, boy did that avalanche come 28 to 7 second half montana wins yeah, it was rough. Martin, how was it at the Martin household? Uh, I actually watched this one at the Corner Club, and it was really... Uh... That's right, you sent the picture of me on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, wow. I was like, I was like, almost wanted to leave early watching that game. It was like, I can't stand watching this game. But yeah. they, I stuck around and uh, heard a lot of interesting takes. Yeah, I'm sure you did at the corner club. Um, God, I wish I could have a tub right now. Uh, but we're almost through this. We've got two games left. Last home game, um, Sac State. Who said okay. they can move it a little, but if this team can't go deep on us, they can't beat us? Sean. Brian. That was Sean. Who said, we always play well on senior night slash dad's weekends, so we will get the win? Chris. It It sounds to me, but I'm going to go Chris. It was TJ. They just aren't very good this year. We should get an easy W here. Look about Chris then. Me. That was me. Who said, it's a toss-up. We either win by a lot or we lose by a lot. I'm going to say I wrote that in. Yeah, I'm going to go with that, too. <laughs> that was a Brian. And then maybe the most outrageous thing, looking back on this podcast, that's the funny part about hindsight, right? Who said it's just an offensive matchup? Do they have a quarterback yet? They don't seem to be able to throw the ball at all. Sean. That, that was Sean. And as we have learned, Kevin Thompson is Troy Taylor's, like, perfect quarterback. Uh, Wow, it was crazy. But this was the game. um, I just can't believe that take when I heard it. I'm like, oh, my God. Now nobody would say that about Kevin Thompson and Zach Stone. Didn't you also say something like, was it like before the season, like Kyler said something and like the whole, like, was it the whole Sac State team like got yes. after him for it? Uh, that was this, but I've talked to Kyler about that since. Apparently he said that about Davis Alexander for Portland State. <laughs> but um, also a guy who probably isn't the worst quarterback in the big sky. But um, can I jump back on the Kevin Thompson thing? Yeah. I've got a stats in front of me and part of why no one saw this jump coming is because in 2018, the guy played seven games, threw eight touchdowns and one interception. This year, he plays 11 games, so not that many more. 25 touchdowns. Yeah, I think a lot of it's Troy Taylor, for sure. I absolutely agree that a lot of it's Troy Taylor. I'm just going back to the, the comment about passing. 
is because we had people had seen Kevin Thompson at Sac State. Now he was hurt last year, that year too. But what, once he was hurt, he was out. So when he was playing and healthy, like it's not he wasn't awful, but he wasn't anything particularly special. And then he exploded yeah. this year. Yep. Um, what I remember about this game was I didn't watch this game. I had a feeling it was going to be a loss. Season was over. I was so just done after Montana and honestly kind of exhausted from the whole trip um, that I didn't even watch this game. I took time off. I don't remember what I did exactly. So maybe I should have watched sweet. it, but nothing. Um, so I don't remember anything from this game other than having a podcast where Brian had to explain everything to me. Yeah, I can re-explain everything real fast. We had 16 yards in the first half. Nothing else to say, really. They're, they they embarrassed us. Uh, we ran 55 plays against Sac State that game, just being a three-and-out machine. We ran 54 plays against Penn State. So we were as bad offensively versus Sac State as we were against Penn State. That was a game where a lot of fans were, were just floored that we couldn't beat a team like Sac State because they're going off the prestige thing uh, and Sac State's history. Um, and, oh, man, that, this was – we had three, you know, borderline suicidal losses for me, and this was one of them. Yeah. And then last but not least, we already covered it. We traveled to northern Arizona, so we're not going to cover it other than – Try to guess who, what people said at a, at the beginning of the year. Who called the walk-up Sky Dome the Little Tacoma Dome? <laughs> NAU is a top-tier team in the Big Sky, and it will be a big L for the Vandals. Sean. You, Chris. That was TJ. If Case Cookus is healthy, we lose. If, Cake, if Case Cookus is hurt, we win. Is that me? I got nothing. That sounds like I could be either you or Brian, Chris. That was me. NAU's passing is too much for us. We lose. Okay, that's me. That was Brian. Who thought that the UW transfer Daniel Bridgegad would start? That sounds like a Sean tweet just because I know he's a Husky fan. It was a Sean tweet. Um, or Sean comment. Tweet, Sean comment. <laughs> yeah. Um which I don't, I didn't should have looked at the stats. I don't think Bridgecat played, but that's because Cookus actually never got hurt this year. Surprise. No one saw that coming. Um, the Martin and I picked wins in this game. The rest of you guys picked L's. So, um, and then obviously we won that game, which means the final picks were Martin, you, um, you got 50% of them right. You guessed six right, you guessed six wrong. Yeah. Sean, TJ, and Brian were both seven and five, which, fun fact, Sean and Brian picked every single game the exact same. We were playoff eligible. Yeah, yeah. You had us at seven and five playoff eligibility with six FBS win, or FCS wins. Um, I actually somehow, I'm not sure how this works. I picked us at nine. I picked nine and three, correct? Um. So I picked all of our games really well, uh, which was awesome. Um, the weird part is Brian – or sorry, those were what we did picking, um, going in and how well we did on picking them. Um, you mean preseason picks. Yes, how well we did picking the preseason games. What we actually thought their records would be, Brian, you had us at 6-6 six and six, uh, as well as Sean. I had them at 8-4, and four, 
TJ had them at seven and five, and Martin had them at nine and three. But Martin, explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I remember at one point uh, when we were talking, I said, "If this is the case, yeah, it was Martin only had us one losing one FCS game, um, and I believe it was the Eastern game. So Martin had us yeah. beating everybody else, being nine and one in the FCS, and like I said." <laughs> we would probably get a seed and win the Big Sky. We definitely would have. We would have won it because we wouldn't have lost to a single Big Sky team because Eastern was out of conference. But that takes us to hashtag AskTATC, which we, Brian, I'll have you handle all the all Vandals ones, and I will, like, you know, read them off to us, and I will read all the Twitter ones. So starting with Martin Heemstra at Hemi underscore 71. Kind of football-related question. Hashtag AskTATC. Who's your dream current or former Vandal athlete you would most like to interview? For me, it is 100% Jeff Ledbetter. How come? Ah, he was just my favorite, man. I loved the, like, every time he made three balls, he'd do the three. Um, and I remember, God, I think I was a freshman, and he – came um, over to our fraternity for the Don Verlin show where he used to do it like in the fraternities and it was filmed and all that. Um, and I got to talk to him for a little bit afterwards, but that was more as like a freshman, like just being like, Oh dude, this guy is the coolest. But uh, I used to think he was amazing. And then in NCAA March Madness or whatever that game was, I made him like a freaking award winning draft pick. Cause I would just lob up, billion threes on varsity every single game and he'd average like 40 points in college brian who's your dream athlete to interview if it's basketball it's mac hobson because he was on that team the verlin turnaround team where it seemed like idaho basketball was going to ascend um in a way it did not but still it was fun while it lasted especially that first season especially beating boise state football I'd say John Freeze. Just ask him what the good old days were like. Martin, answer your own question. Mine, uh, mine's kind of a two frago basketball. If it's we're doing basketball, I'd say uh, Splash Sisters, Taylor and Michaela, just because of how much I watched that and how much I was like in the band just watching that. Football, I'd say uh, uh. Dennis Erickson or Dennis Erickson. Nice. All right, we got one more Martin question here. Wait, what, what do you think? The other? Oh yeah, that. What? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Forgot about the other one. Hashtag ask TATC. Do you think Idaho's win against Eastern is what kept Eastern out of the playoffs? Yes. At, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If, now if they if they win that game, they got seven FCS wins. Plus, it turned out losing to Idaho was a bad loss. Now, Martin Arnzen at Marte83843 and Dallas Hammer both have questions about something that's probably going to become infamous um, in Vandal lore, just like Throw the V and a bunch of other stuff. Um, ha- this is from Martin. Arn- Ar- I'm going to read them both because they're pretty much the same. Hashtag ask the ATC. Is the hashtag hater going to hate the way to bring back boosters and alumni that stopped because of the drop down and the CPP 
Coach Paul Petrino, for people that don't know, um, would call them the HGH Club. <laughs> there could be some serious funding here discussed. And then Dallas Hammer wants to know, why should I continue to buy season tickets and donate to the school and this team, which slaps it in my face with hashtag haters are going to hate? I can't be perfectly content hating from my – I can be perfectly content hating from my couch and not giving another dime to that institution, hashtag AskTATC. So for context, for people that don't know, um, Sunday or maybe it was Saturday – um, after the game, Mason Petrino set the career completion percentage um, for the university as a whole, a very obscure statistic to pull out, um, and then pull the hashtag haters going to hate. And we have a snapshot of it. It was from the at Vandal football account, the Twitter verified Vandal football account. Mason Petrino yesterday, six touchdowns, ties program record, 530 563 yards of total offense, second most all-time, and finishes his career with the best completion percentage in program history. Hashtag haters going to hate. Hashtag go Vandals. Hashtag foes will fall. Um, I don't even – Martin, you want to touch on this one? See what you can get out of it? Uh, I got nothing to say about this. I got – as you might have seen on Twitter, I have faith on my Facebook post. I kind of took a different approach. So I'm going to stay out of this 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 subject. Yeah, well, I I'll go and I'm, Brian and I probably are on similar pages here with this. Um, I just view it as such a like the people that are going to read that tweet are the people that are still following your stinking program. So maybe they're not the people you should be insulting, like. Maybe if that's a quote in the Idaho Statesman for, like, the front page of the Idaho Statesman, like, all these Boise people that go to Boise State games aren't following us anymore, and they can say we suck all we want, but we're good. But, no, this was directly, in my opinion, at people like us. I know they don't listen to our podcast, so it's not obviously 100% right at, like, us, but it's tied to the people that are still following the team. It's tied to the people that booed Paul off of the field against Sac State. It is to those people. And to that, you're going to say haters are going to hate. Kyler Neal from FCS Fans Nation put a great stat out that before this game, he was 12 for 12 on touchdowns to interceptions. So he was throwing a or turning the ball over once per every touchdown he had created. That is not hater is going to hate type numbers. Congratulations, you put up seven touchdowns in the last game of the year that didn't mean anything. That is not a stat to do it. And – I know a lot of people think that this was actually Paul that tweeted this. I highly doubt it was Paul that tweeted this. I don't think Paul has Twitter. We have it from good sources that he can barely work like his iPod. So I don't think he's running Twitter, which is why he probably doesn't have a Twitter. Um, And I don't think Mason's tweeting this. But I think it's that whole us versus them mentality that has been created by Paul uh, where it's literally he's turned the program not only against other teams but against the fans. And so I'm sure there's some student media person or student, some student that's a part of the team, one of those guys that works their butts off for the team running practices and everything that probably does handle the Twitter account. And I'm sure that was a lot of the commentary in the locker room and everything was like, oh, people say Mason sucks and look what he did. And so, like, obviously the university has since deleted it because I'm sure somebody was like, um, <laughs> that is a not a, a advised tweet to send. Um but, yeah, what pissed me off about it is, like, it's not like you're a team that's 
has you know the dome selling out sixteen thousand at the beginning of the year, and you know once the playoffs were gone, it dwindled down to two thousand, and then you're really sending it at people that are still following you but not going to the games. You're sending it to the two to five thousand fans that are still following you every single stinking game, and you're pretty much telling us exactly what Dallas said. Why don't you just quit spending your money on us and quit donating to the university and quit buying season tickets because we don't need you. And then to that, it could just be like, fine, I can watch you on Pluto TV for free from my house. And then I can be like some people have said, I can be a nameless person from behind a computer screen instead of somebody at the dome cheering you on. But uh, I don't know. I, it just it rubbed me completely the wrong way. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm, – ah, like I said – nothing against Mason. I think a lot of the hate is getting directed at Mason when Mason had nothing to do with this other than having his career game, which is unfair. But just in general, I'm just next page. I'm so done with this chapter. As we know, I wish we had news to report to you today that we are getting a new coach. I don't think if we've heard by now, it's not going to happen, but I'm just, yeah, I don't turn yeah, the page. Don't stop that. Like I, we would have heard something, even though, I mean, apparently he's out recruiting, so I think that's good news. And I think recruits that we're all following would have said something by now. Something was happening, but yeah. Yeah, we're, we're not going to – I mean, now <sighs> if, if we fired him now, it would honestly be bad on us because they're yeah. already out recruiting. They should have caught him Saturday night and then informed the team Sunday morning. We're recording well, Monday evening. If you haven't heard and we fired him now, we just screwed our recruiting up. So I think we're getting another year of him no matter what which we might cover here soon, might not be totally bad. But, Brian, what's your thoughts on the hashtag haters are going to hate? So, first thing, congrats to Mason for having a career day as his final game. No one was disappointed in in him having a great night like that. What we wished was that we'd seen it more. The critique was that people knew we weren't going to see that more from snap one last year. Now, the context, further context for why we know haters going to hate was directed at fans. Every single time Mason had one of his, and I mean this, his few good games, we got shots from Paul or Paul and Mason directed at the fans after the North Dakota game. Paul was quoted in the Lewiston Tribune saying the Mason haters can take the night off. After the Eastern Washington game, you know, we, we already talked about Paul's press conference, but Mason was also quoted as saying they can boo, they can hate. So we actually saw that stuff being directed in the media, not and also not qualified, because I, I guarantee Mason had people be jackasses to him in person, and no one on this show would ever endorse that, and we wish it didn't happen, and not that this means anything, but if Mason were ever to hear this, I am sorry that you probably had people be a jackass towards you in a way that was not okay. We bought you shots. They, Paul and Mason never bracketed their comments about, hey, it's it's some of these people. No, they, they were purposefully broad. So that's how we knew haters going to hate was related to fans. And uh, part of why there was a reaction is people like us, people like the Grizz fan, retweeted the uh, Vandal account tweet and said, hey, this is a kind of great, nice outreach attempt, guys. Uh, way to take a shot at your fans. Um you know, I know I, I got a I can't say who the person is, uh, but it did come from inside the athletic department. The person who wrote that tweet, it it was not a coach. As far as I understand, it was a, an athletic department person. Uh, but, yeah, my response is this is a great way. The, the only people who are showing up for games are lifers. These are people who buy six figure RVs. 
they choose to travel and orient their entire falls around going to games and you're going to throw a middle finger at them. Um, you know what? You are begging the question of why people should be interested in Paul if he comes back. Now, I, I don't think Paul's necessarily, I think Paul's likely to come back. I don't think just because we haven't heard news yet that that's 100% the case. He has the buyout issue uh, with, or not the buyout, but the paying his contract issue. Um, you know, we just learned today that the Cal Poly coach was let go. You know, we still have a little bit of time where it's feasible to learn that he's going to be gone um, and have it not annihilate recruiting. But I am with you guys. If we haven't heard anything yet, we're probably not going to. But um, you know what? If, if you The athletic department, football team in particular, absolutely seems antagonistic towards fans. And I, I just think it's brain dead. And I have no reservations saying that's a Paul Petrino culture thing. No different from the team getting a billion penalties, just like Paul gets a billion penalties as a non-player. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Chris Kleiman and Houston and Aaron Best and Jeff Choate and Bobby Houck just rip apart their fan bases. Um, that's you know a very big staple of successful programs at the FCS level is insulting your fan base. That's how I view it. It's like, yeah, in case you haven't noticed, all the good programs aren't doing that, so... I don't know. And then uh, and, Martin Arnzen, which I believe it's his first time asking a question, so thank you. Um, sorry you had to wait till the end of the year to, to have these kind of ones, but he wanted to know hashtag AskTATC. So is hashtag hate is gonna hate going to be the game day shirt next year? So we're going to replace uh, FWF, Foes Will Fall, with HGH, hate is gonna hate? What do you guys think? I think if we organize to get a shop attached to tubstoclub.com, yep. We yeah, should do it. This could be the Let's next nasty and inebriated. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We need to start dips. We already have a trademark. You out there listening, don't even think about it. We have a four-day head start on you <laughs> to get a trademark. Uh, we are going to be selling haters gonna hate shirts. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Sorry, circling back the haters gonna hate thing. Last thing, just a couple things for to, for fans to digest. Heading into the NAU game against Big Sky teams, when Mason started, we scored 17.5 points per game. That's what we hated. We hated having an embarrassingly bad offense while we watched watched our team squander talent, watched Jeff Cotton should have had a no-question first-team All-American career, but we didn't have the weapons to throw it to get to actually get him the ball. We had our defense step up significantly this year compared to 2018. But they, they could put in great efforts like we talked about against Portland State, only giving up 24 points. But what we hated was our offense sucked. The offensive guru, Paul, Pat Paul Petrino, had again one of the bottom three offenses in the big sky. That's what we hated. All right. And then hashtag AskTATC from Taylor Cash, Idaho Grown T Cash. What are some of the upsides for next season, and how does the schedule shake out right now for wins and losses? Hashtag haters gonna hate. Um, Taylor, we will be covering that a little bit later, maybe not as in-depth, but um, I just want to make sure we read that because I like how you ended yours with hashtag haters gonna hate. All right, Brian, um, I don't know if we're repeating anything on all vandals, but uh, if you can find some questions, we'll take them. Yeah, we are. Um, well, I mean, I'll just skip over the repeats. So the first one is from Vandal Freeze, and his question is related to what we talked about earlier, uh, but it's a different take, which is his question is, I don't know the best way to phrase this, but 
how do you all think Coach Paul Petrino can come back next fall and build a neutral, at best, relationship with fans? So many things have come down on the football program the last 10 years that his behavior towards us last two or three has given people personal. And th- that's a key. Not We're not talking about just play. He's saying that the way the program seems antagonistic towards fans has given people personal reasons to disconnect. He, I'd like to think he has some sense of shame about him that he would at least make a concerted effort to reform, but he doesn't expect that to happen. What can we do or what should happen to rebuild the relationship with a fan base if Paul's coming back? Oh, man. To be honest, I don't know if he can at this point. Um, I mean, it's been since he started. I still remember when I was still a student and people, and right, wrongly so, and I think maybe this is where he gets a little bit of his high horse here, is obviously a lot of people from Coeur d'Alene go to U of I, and a lot of people weren't happy with Matt Linehan getting playing time over Chad Challenge. And I specifically remember somebody yelling, like, you're the worst freaking coach, and you're playing the worst bleeping quarterback just because of his last name. Sounds familiar. Uh, you should put Chad Chalich in, and like, was just ripping him to the point where you know this guy's like three or four rows back, and Paul literally turns up, looks at him, and says, "You need to shut your effing mouth." And like, I'm like, I've never seen a coach, a head coach at that, turn around and look a student <laughs> fan oh, oh, wow. three rows up and tell him to shut his effing mouth. Because he's, like, yelling at him while he's trying to talk to his quarterbacks. It's like, you're a coach. Get over it. I get that the Kibbe Dome at times could be a little bit quieter, so those voices do stand out, which is why I've always thought that we should have the students on the away team side because it's way more annoying for away team fans and then have more of the homie people, quieter people, when you're trying to do your stuff. I've never understood that setup of having our loudest section and probably most critical section (laughs) right behind our coaches and the ones that distract the players all the time by yelling their names, but it's the way we do it. But I don't know. He's He's been aggressive towards fans since the beginning. Um, I think it's just going to come down to being like 2016 and winning fixes everything, and you know what? If he wins and gets us to the playoffs next year with a young quarterback or even Colton Richardson who will have um, two years, um, you know, it's – Oh, well, we we got the playoffs, we've got quarterbacks in place, and then we'll be looking up next year, and then who knows, he'll probably get another extension, and everyone will be like, man, you remember that two-and-a-half-year drought where we just didn't have quarterbacks and we had to play Mason and we almost fired Paul, and then we'll be signing him to another huge contract like we did in 06 because we're afraid that someone like Western Kentucky is going to come and steal him. Um, I don't know, man. I just – at this point <sighs> – it, I think it's just about him winning, and like we're just gonna have to deal with who he is. And I don't know. I I don't think he could repair it. I don't think there's anything he could do that would make people like him. The only way he's gonna get repaired the stuff of the fan base is bring back his offensive guru ness and start winning. To where like, oh, we can't afford to lose him because he's the best coach we've had since Chris Tormey. I think. I I agree with you, Chris. I think winning does fix everything. That's what's gonna probably at the very at the that's gonna have to be like the bare minimum. Like winning, getting back to the playoffs, and just just yeah, just winning will fix. I think is gonna have to be the only thing that he can do to fix it, fix the relationship. Yeah, I think if he were the kind of person 
who let's say was like Jeff Choate, who Jeff Choate's pretty aggressive. I don't mean uh, demeanor wise, but Jeff Choate is pretty aggressive about interacting with the media in a way that draws you in. Jeff Choate is a guy who is pretty charismatic and he can make you want to like him. Bobby Houck's the opposite. Bobby Houck has a great resume that will let you deal with the his idiosyncrasies. Paul Petrino combines the worst of Bobby Houck uh, with no winning. Uh, so if Paul Petrino could become a person who's charismatic and worked to build bridges in the same way that Scott Green and Terry Golick are doing right now, where they're doing a lot of what you call retail politics, where they are trying to reach people just to show that they they care, that they are they accept that Vandal fans are invested and they want Vandal fans to believe the admins invested in them too. If Paul did that, I think there's a chance he could rebuild some bridges. I don't think he'll ever do that. I know it's going to take more than winning for me to give for me to forgive two years. Uh, it's going to take some exceptional uh, performance for me to forgive what he's done for two years. Uh, there's a decent amount of fans who we're not going to talk about in the All of Handles thread, but they they uh, their sentiment was, I don't know if I want the team to be good while Paul's here because I dislike Paul so much. Um, I think there's a chance it gets worse before it gets better, and it gets better by him leaving. Otherwise, the ceiling is, you know, this is a couple that should be divorced but they stay together because of the kids, but yeah. they resent each other a little bit more with each passing day. Yeah, and just to, I guess, challenge you on your one point, um, on it would take him going out and doing retail politics, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, actually looking like he cares. I would argue that Idaho fans are definitely over that. Uh, that's what Chuck Staben tried to do at the end. And people still think – people still hate Chuck Staben a billion times more than they hate Paul Petrino. So I'm not sure if going out and shaking hands and kissing babies is enough for him at this point. I think it would be a lot like when Chuck did it and people were just like, you know what, man? I don't like you. I don't care to like you. Just let's let it be. Let's air it out and you do you. Because I remember being at Montana State last year and him trying to approach himself to some alumni and donors, and they pretty much gave him the middle finger. I remember at the Potato Bowl when he was walking around at Big Owls out in Meridian and trying to talk to people, and like everyone was giving him the cold shoulder. And I think that's a lot of what Paul would get at this point. People would be like, maybe a little bit more receptive because he is the football coach, but I'm not sure if that would be enough for most. People. He'd have to he'd have to admit that playing Mason was wrong, and he's he's never going to do that. Yeah. Nope. And you know, for him. I guess rightfully so. Your relationship with your son's more important than your relationship with your fan base. So I don't expect him now that Mason's gone to openly start trashing Mason's play. Um, of course, because like that would that would make me honestly more mad at him. Like, well, you knew this all along. You protect him while he was playing, and now you're going to trash your son when he's gone. So like that would actually probably I'd be a it, little bit more mad at him for that. Cause it would have to be him trashing himself. Yeah, saying he made a mistake, but also I mean. If you listen to him in the post game, you know Chris, you've swung me. Um, I, I heard him a thousand times in post game say like, "Yeah, we were out, coach. Yeah, it was my fault." Sweet. Well, nothing happened. I mean, this is a thing that happens for people with accountability, which is when they watch a powerful figure say, "I take full responsibility," and nothing happens. People know that's fake accountability. You know, the Alex referenced 
uh, Paul talking about taking taking an arrow to the head or something like that on one of his podcasts. Mm-hmm. Paul pretends to take an arrow to the head all the time. No one buys it. Um, you know, accountability matters if something happens. And people are hearing the tone from me. You know, I'm out on Paul in a way that is probably irredeemable. Um, but I still want the best for our players. So I would like the players to do well. I'd le- like the players to do so damn well that someone offers Paul a job he can't refuse. Yeah. It's going to be interesting media day next year, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Which, by the way, circling back, we had a person ask why we don't have Paul on the show. Uh, and my, my response is, one, he probably wouldn't come on. Two, I don't think there's a more boring interview in the big sky than Paul Petrino. Yeah. He's not the most hey, exciting, but... I mean, Chris, do you have a different feel on that or not? No, I mean, I I kind of drank the Kool-Aid after talking to him at Media Days. Um, but I guess maybe because I like talking football, football, and he got a lot into, like, tactics and everything, which yeah. for most of you, and I'm not saying everyone here is not football smart, but most of you probably don't want to listen to, like, what their heavy set is going to be and why they think, you know, like... You do, but you're not going to listen to an hour of it. You want to hear, like, here's where we have good matchups. Jeff Cotton is going to go deep and smoke all their defensive backs, and we're going to win this game. Like, and that's just not how Paul talks. Paul gets, like, kind of, like, moving pieces. Like, he's playing chess, and he's two heads, like, two moves ahead of you, kind of like smirk, where he's like, we were, I remember from media days we're talking, and he's like, oh, we have, like, some really cool pieces that, like, I'm really excited to show off, like Nick Romano and uh, the Rufia brothers and, oh, wait until you see Noah Ellis. And, like, he acts like he's this guy with moving pieces and he's a couple steps ahead of you. And he gets this really kind of, like, snicker of, like, just wait and see. Like, he kind of builds you up. And I'm like, all right, I you know what? I, I'm liking what I'm being sold here. But... And it doesn't deliver. Well, you know what? Those players weren't bad. It's just the problem that we thought was going to be a problem was still the problem. So, yeah, D- defensively we we were much better. Yeah. So he was right on that. On defense, we added some pieces, and he was darn right. Um. All right. Yeah. Next question. Next. I'm over this one. <laughs> yeah. Seconded. Um. So this is from Vandal Pride ninety seven. His question is: What can the university as a whole do to improve the game day experience to the point where people will regain interest do we start with a concerted effort to improve and foster tailgating bring back old traditions does the university reach out to the greek system and resident halls to get some sort of competition or you know huge trophy that can coincidentally be served as a beer goblet bring back dad's weekend that's his question um he, those last ones were just examples his big question is what can the university do as a whole to improve the game day experience to improve interest i think i know you guys' answer on this Serve beer. Yeah, serve beer. How are you going with win? I think. I think another thing is I think he they do might need to do more with students because at some games like even like it, it seemed like at ISU like it like the students were just leaving early and it just is something that is bothered me since I was in since I was a freshman in 2012 in the band it was like why are you guys leaving why aren't you supporting this team it was something that I think. You start with the. I think getting students back on board, even like having Terry or Paul or even Scott Green going in, like giving speeches, like come out and support the bank, come out with the band, the team at like these games and staying throughout the entire game. Yeah, going um, into each house and doing that. I think even like Sark's done that at UW and some other coaches have. 
Yeah, they had the whole I'll bark for Sark stuff at UW. But um, I agree with you, and I, I'm not as close to the students now. Um, and I was in no position to know what was happening when I was a student because I was the person that made sure I got in before kickoff, filmed them running out. I was always in the front two or three rows, so I didn't notice everyone behind me. And if you've ever seen me in person, I'm not very tall. So if there's somebody behind me, I'm not seeing the rows up. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know what happened because I still remember in 2010 and 2011, like the stadium felt packed. And I know that we've always lost people to tailgating in the second half. And then we probably always will lose people to tailgating in the second half. And uh, every school loses people tailgating second half. Yep. That's not an Idaho thing. Nope. And every school right now is struggling with the student section. Like I said, Montana students didn't get up for – I mean, if you want to put it on that same foot, Idaho students don't consider Idaho State a rival. And Montana students don't consider Idaho a rival, which is why the Montana student section was, like, Idaho bad. And they're a, they were a top eight team or top five team or something at that time. And their students didn't show up for the whole game, let alone the end of it. So it's it's an everywhere thing, and I don't know what's going on with students. I think it's just Instagram and everything today and instant accessibility and fear of missing out. And, you know, nowadays you're at the game having a blast, but then you get a Snapchat and your friends are doing beer bong wheelbarrow races. I don't know, something, and you're like, oh, Gotta that looks like a lot more fun. We're going to get smoked anyways, especially when you have a losing culture. Um, so I don't know. I think one thing that would help is having beer be able to be sold um, to 21 plus, obviously. But then you have the whole thing with the way that the fan base is being treated, as we've mentioned in the previous question, that you might get some other issues from that. Um, but God, I don't know. I brought up before, like at Montana State, they like ring a siren in the parking lot right before kickoff of first half, like 10 minutes before and then right before. And same thing at halftime. And it just helps people know what time, you know, oh, the game's starting back up. And I've always said maybe if you had, like, the radio feed playing out in the parking lot, but it cuts off, like, five minutes after kickoff, so you have to go in. But that way you know, like, what time. I think people lose track of time sometimes. And, it, like, I'm just going to finish this beer turns into, like, hanging out with the same people that are – I don't know. I don't know what you got to do. I do think – the obvious answer that Vandal Pride nailed, you got to do something with the Greek system. It's 40% of the school. It's usually a people go in groups of, you know, 15 to 20 to 25 people. Um, and I don't know how in a house of, you know, my house had 70 people. I would say 40 of us went into every game. And out of that, like 60 of us went to a tailgate. There's probably only 10 people that could care less about what the football team was doing that day. So I don't know how or what Greeks are doing anymore, but I know the university's kind of been attacking them enough that maybe they don't feel like they want to support the university. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what you got to do. But I know when I was there, we were still rolling in with, you know, 20 to 30 people every single game into the Dome. And that alone is more than some students I've seen this year. So I have no idea. Yeah, so maybe some kind of competition. But if we're being honest, like, it's not elementary school, like, the fraternities and sororities, for the most part, aren't going to get excited about winning some, like, cup that doesn't mean anything. No, that's that's the difficulty with, like, having, let's just say, a tactic is if something's a tradition, then it, it seems to mean something. You know, we're, that's something we're struggling with rivalries is that because our rivalries in the Big Sky were suspended, they're rivalries to some and not to others. 
Um, what I'd say is the big thing is one, I do agree with you on having like a bell or a siren just so people know. And there's a chance that if people hear the siren and start coming in, then we just start having kind of that ritual of, of the siren. And then people come back in. Big vandal horn. But the big thing. Bring the we, bell that they ring outside out. Bring the bell that they used to ring. They call ring the bell thing. Bring that outside. I can't do Yeah. We forgot. Ring the bell. Right. Yeah. Gr <laughs> thank you, Grizz fan. Uh, yeah. We got to ring the bell. Um, but the big thing to me is who is going to get ecstatic about a bottom of their conference FCS team? Phase one is you got to win to give people an excuse, and then you can work on tactics to get people in. Uh, but to me, you know, right now we're looking at like, hey, how do we get 36% up to 40% is if these tactics actualize. And the big thing is you got to win and you got to win for a while. Yeah, and actually to combine two of the questions here, I do think um, – I think it was him that brought it up or maybe it was uh, Martin. But I do think maybe doing the show, like I said with uh, Don Verlin, when he did the Don Verlin show and traveled to the fraternities and the the other – you know, the dorm halls and did a little like 30-minute radio show that the university posted, um, it made it easy to like him. So it would go a little bit if Paul was going into the houses – and, you know, taking – I think they would take like three questions from people in the house. And then the rest, you know, was all kind of scripted answers from the media – or, you know, the SID and stuff. But you got to watch it and you, you you know, got to talk to them afterwards after. And they usually brought one or two players. And it really made me love the Vandal basketball team. I've never been a huge basketball fan. But my freshman through senior year – I my freshman year, I didn't miss a single Vandal home game. Like, it, it really made me – want to be a part of that team and then when they kind of quit doing that it made it a lot more easy to criticize Verlin for never winning tournament games because I wasn't seeing him anymore but like when he was in it it was harder to it's like Rob Akey it was hard to fire Rob Akey the writing was on the wall but everybody liked Rob Akey like eventually we were just like we we've got to start winning we're sorry but like Rob Akey was personable and he did stuff like interact and it did make people want to go to the Aikis game. Like, Aikis Army was huge. And that's probably why attendance was so great in, like, 2011 and 2010 and 2012 was, like, why it was so much better was Aiki was easy to root for. And Aikis players were fun to root for. Um, now it's like you have this big wall up between you and the players. I mean, Matt, that's probably why people love Matt Linehan so much. He was easily the most translatable to students at the time where you would actually see him out and in class and he made his own YouTube videos. Uh, like he made himself approachable and that's probably why people love Matt Linehan. So maybe there is something to having a show and being public. Yeah, of course the, that circles back to what you talked about with, I mean, that, that's a version of like retail politics, let's say. Um, and that circles back kind of what you talked about with Staven though is once, once you burn the bridges, it's pretty tough to, to rebuild them. Yeah. Now a new new coach does that. I think it lights the world on fire. Rehire Aki. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, I take that, it back immediately. Right when it left my mouth. <laughs> say, that that is an option. <laughs> um, all right, I'm done with this subject unless anybody else has points. Nah, we can jump on. I'm good. Um, I'm gonna try to combine some to be a little bit faster. Um, so. Um, one question a guy has is, his name is Vandal Bison. Um, his question is, 
how many young alumni in my area would that he, he lives in a rural area he wants to know what the ui so can provide uh, apparently i'm gonna guess so uh well actually no he referenced door shack um but anyway he hey he's vandal bison we're just gonna ask a question he lives in a rural area what can U of I provide to get us out of hunting camp skiing mowing the yard that weekend or not <laughs> go boating on door shack to make it to a game mind you two hour drive um i think that kind of we kind of answered that in the last one was getting people in which is we got to turn it, the games into an event yeah um because i don't know like how do you get me to drive five hours from seattle right and I'm a lifer, and obviously Vandal Bison's a lifer. And anyone that's asking us questions are lifers. How do we get the the 2017 graduate um, who didn't grow up with very good team? Well, I guess the Potato Bowl team, but I, I don't know. I get what he's saying. Like, younger people, how do you get them to care so much that they're not going to do all these other activities they have to them, like boating on Dower Shack or Mandalon? But uh, and that's only a two-hour drive, and you're thinking about most of your young alumni that he's mentioning live in Boise, and that's a five to five and a half hour drive on a very crappy road, especially late in the year, um, especially when you're driving past ski hills. Like, why wouldn't you just stop him a call and go skiing? Um, and I don't know. Like you said, it needs to be an event. It needs to be an atmosphere. Like tailgating used to be good. We're not even doing good at tailgating anymore. Um, I don't know, and I'm not sure if dad's weekends and stuff like that are the events. I mean, homecoming is, but homecoming is because you know it's one game everybody's going to show up to, and you'll see a bunch of your old friends. Um, yep. Like, I don't know, the parade's kind of cool, and the fire is kind of cool, but, like, I can't tell you. I don't think I've been to the parade since I had to do a float in it. So, I mean, for me, that's not what gets me up there. Um, God, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to win more of the casual fans. and Free beer at the they- corner club? Well, phase one of winning the casual fan is it's got to be an event. And most for most people, watching a team with a losing record play is not an event. Yep. So we – I mean, we're, we're not trying – a new dead horse. We have to win more. Uh, but that that's where we're at is we, we need we need people to, to be invested in the administ- at the administrative level, uh, which we already have. We need – I really think we need a factory reset with a new coach when we can afford it. And then we need to win games, and I think that's the way we can do it. Um, Martin, any any other thoughts? Uh, Pete, no, there's it, there's a second it, part of this question. I got nothing. I mean, it's going to kind of be in the same thing. Just just win, baby. I actually have one more thing. I think find a way to lower the ticket price for young alumni. If you are like in your first four years out, especially right now when I'm imagining season ticket sales aren't strong. It's like. What was like? I think mine was like I got sticker shock, even though mine was gifted to me as presents. It was like they upped the VSF donation for where I was sitting. Yeah, I, like, I was like, "What the hell?" Maybe don't require the VSF donation for young alumni. Like, if you've graduated in the last four years, maybe you don't have to give a VSF for your ticket. Like, at least that way you're. Well, I guess maybe you want to, so they're there. But I, I don't know. There's a give take there where like, yeah, it took me two years to buy season tickets because I was like, I can't afford these like maybe cut a break for students and then another option just in general and we've talked about it up here in seattle with the puget sound vsf like maybe offer buses from especially boise i mean maybe not seattle maybe that's something you do rely on your vandal you know your scholarship fund until 
you know, they're running out of seats and then maybe the university steps in. But, like, if you're Boise, maybe run a bus for, like, a $10 ticket and you can ride the bus up Friday night after work and, you know, you have a deal with a hotel or, I don't know, find a way to make it easy for people to go to games instead of, like, there's not a lot of hotels. Wazoo picks the same day for homecoming. Hotel prices are, especially now that they're letting people stay in the dorms for, like, really cheap. Maybe you offer the dorms with that ticket. I don't know. But, like, if, if I was living in Boise and I was 23, 24 and just graduated and I got a ride up to an, the Idaho-Idaho State game for, let's say, 30 bucks, 50 bucks even. If I could go to the game for 50 bucks, get a game ticket, a bus ride to the game, and got to stay in a dorm, even if it's with some, like, random dudes, like a hostel, and you know where you're for a girl with random girls, like – I would jump at that to go see a fun game, go back to Moscow and do it all for like pretty cheap. But I don't know, something to look into. Maybe they should hire us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and la- next question, um, PNW Vandal 13. Yeah. Two questions. The first is about athletic donations, but I think with how deep we're into this, we can, we'll talk about that later. It's, it's a little bit more of an off season topic, uh, but his, his question is, it'd be nice to hear your thoughts on the current ta- talent pool on roster and what position groups UI needs to focus on recruiting. We can probably answer that pretty quick. O-line is for me. It's like the one they need to focus on the most, I think. Um, it's tough. Uh, we probably need to see what we can reload at wide receiver. We only have control for a little bit longer. We lost Cotton. To be honest, they were like, 80 to 85 percent 90 percent of our offense passing wise so Hatton's made some moves Whitney's made some moves DJ Lee but like who's really going to be the guy next year I mean probably Cottrell but I don't know maybe maybe we've got McGuire coming back we've got Chauncey Smart but you know none of those well Smart doesn't matter until he actually puts ink to paper Um, and uh, I don't know we'll we'll see we haven't seen McGuire and he's coming off a big leg injury so I, don't, I would say maybe some skill position because I think quarterback we're pretty set between obviously Nick Hill, Nate Cisco, um, if Caleb Jordan stays committed to us, if um, we still have Colton Richardson, obviously, and then we are still have Keegan Thompson has an offer out, Andy Peters, who's a three-star out of Timberline High School, still doesn't have any offers, um, and then there's one other, some Bishop Kelly quarterback, um, doesn't have any offers. So, I mean, there's quarterbacks in state that we could even offer, like, preferred walk-ons to in Andy Peters and Bo – I can't remember his name – but from Bishop Kelly. So you have guys who could walk on, plus Cameron or Carter Freeze, what I forget his first name. Carter. Carter. Could be all right as well. Like, I'm not super worried about quarterback right now. I actually think we have a lot of young talent on the team. So I'm going wide receiver for sure. So I'll, to be quick – Running back, we have a lot of talent coming back. We might have the best linebacker uh, group of four coming back when Charles O'Connor is healthy. Um, I think that our secondary, you know, uh, Devontae Ginwright graduated and or didn't, did he leave the program at the end of the year? It sounded like he may have left the program last week or so. Uh, I thought he was still there. I'm okay. pretty sure I saw then a picture I, of him against NAU. Then forgive me. I, ju- I just remember uh, – it was a kind of cryptic Paul Petrino response to a Colton Collier question. Uh, but we're losing 
Devonte Jinwright's graduating. Cedric. Uh, Cedric, De- yeah, Cedric, yeah, Cedric's graduating. Lloyd Hightower is graduating. We need some help in the secondary uh, offensive line. We use an all lose an all American talent offensive lineman, and that's a place where people are always hurt. So you always want to be strong there. And if Colton's our guy, we need to be real good on the offensive line. Yeah, that's my answer. All right, and next one. We, oh man, um, I th- so, uh, you know what? For all the people who wrote in. Oh, sorry. Here's a good one. Do you think it's fair to set goals next year to retain your job? Meaning for Paul Petrino is winning the big sky fair is going to the playoffs fair is winning eight or nine games fair. Considering the number of years on the job are all of the above fair is not attaining those goals cause for resignation. Or do you hold the school hostage for another two years? Let's just forget the second part of that. And do you guys think it's fair to have high metrics for Paul Petrino's job next year? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think if he, if, if he is staying, I think Terry and or Scott Green needs to tell him. You it, it, look, it you've had what is it now? Almost six years now since he's got hired. Almost or no, he's going to be on year eight next season. Yeah, he's seven years in, one winning season. I think if he is staying, it's got to be look. It's playoffs or bust at this point. You've had your that two and a half year shtick with the with the with the issues. Now you've got a. That's behind us. You have to win this year, or you're gone. Yep. Which I think. Well, the, we don't know the financial situation, which is why I'm imagining he's not gone right now. Obviously, yeah. we'll shave another four hundred some thousand off of it next year. But he's through 2023, so he, no matter what, gets paid for three more seasons. No, four more seasons. Get- the 20 season, 21 season, 22 season, and 23 season. So, or maybe it expires 23. I, Either way, he's here for a while, and apparently we don't have the funds, although we'd heard that we'd had the funds. Maybe that this NAU changed something. It's kind of hard without really having sources that we want to pry on about this in the athletic I department. I think um, just going back to the NAU thing, I think the decision would have been made before the NAU game, no matter yeah, what. I agree, 100%. But, um, so I think, yeah, he should have high metrics. He came in. I mean, maybe this is one he's preaching. Maybe this was just Caden Ellis on his own. When Caden Ellis said we expect to leave with two more rings, a Big Sky Championship, and a national title, that was his expectation. He expected to come and compete for national titles. Right now we're not even competing for a last 16 into the playoffs, the last 20 into the playoffs. We're not even competing for a winning record right now. So what's – he should be expected. I mean, it should be playoffs no matter what. And in my mind, just making the playoffs shouldn't be enough. He should have to be seated or we should have to be – people don't believe in us because we haven't proved to be believed in. And we make a deep run as a AQ in the, from the first round on to maybe the quarters or semis. But otherwise, I'm not going to be okay with it. Like, it would take probably a quarterfinal to semifinal appearance next year for me to be like, all right. Paul is what he said he was. We have young quarterbacks. I can't wait for next year. But it's going to take a deep playoff run or a playoff seed. We're with its playoffs or like get out of town. Yeah, 100%. He's had seven years, one winning season. You know, we'll probably talk about it on a different show. Uh, but how exactly how you value that winning season probably dictates how charitable you feel towards Paul. I think it's fair to, to say the bar is high. I, I mean, I think it, it should be over already. Uh, it's it's just money, I think, that keeps him here. 
Uh, last question. This is directed at me specifically. It's by an account that has a kind of randomized name. Um, the question is, I appreciate your enthusiasm for Vandal football, Brian, but I have to ask, why are you so amped up on zealously spreading narratives like this online, especially to those outside the Vandal family? What are you hoping to accomplish? The this narrative, which is not a narrative, it's reality. Colton Clark published an editorial. Everyone should read it. Check him out on Twitter at Clark Tribune or just go to or just Google Colton Clark, Idaho Vandals. You'll see it. He wrote an editorial where he essentially named that uh, everyone's happy that Mason had a great game. We are too. But the last two years of nepotism have been inexcusable. And uh, Colton also talked about the Twitter post we talked about and the us versus them attitude we see in the athletic department, specifically the football team. Um, I, you know, not to be too inside baseball to you guys, but I saw that article. We have had almost no writing like that critical of Paul that's not just our podcast. So I did my best to make sure every Big Sky media outlet had access to it, retweeted a thousand times, even prompt other people to retweet it. Um, and I think a lot of people read it. And I, what I wanted was for, for it to be clear, just not just for Idaho fans, but the Big Sky in general, that the last two years in Idaho had been preposterous. And what I was hoping to what I was hoping to do is make sure that the ridiculous thing we've lived through these last two years doesn't just die in Vandal lore. It, I wanted it to be known by more people. You know, I'm not a decision maker. None of us are. But no matter what happens with Paul, I wanted part of the influence to be public knowledge. I have no idea if this will influence at all. It probably won't. But that's the power that we have is, is one, if Colton writes a great article, the way you reward creators like that, just like the way you reward podcast creators is you share their work, you download their work, and you read their work. Doing that. And otherwise, I was just trying to make sure people know the story. You can also support us by buying Montucky Cold Snacks, taking pictures, and tagging them in it so they know <laughs> their advertising wasn't in vain. Perfect. Um, now we're done questions. We're done. I feel like that, that is the end of the newly dubbed hashtag haters gonna hate. Hashtag ask, ask TATC. That's not gonna go. I can't wait for these shirts. All right. Um, so we've pretty much covered a lot of everything here. Um, but now I just kind of want your guys' your high point and your low point from the season. And then we'll do some really initial early thoughts on 2020. And then we're pretty much out of here, everybody. But uh, let's start with you, Martin. What was your high point and what was your low point? High point was beating, getting revenge on Eastern, and the low point was uh, was the uh, was the Northern Colorado game, blowing that lead and just kind of losing all momentum. I thought we had going into potentially going into a potential ranked matchup with Weber. Brian. High point was getting revenge at Idaho State. High point was seeing Jeff Cotton, an all-American talent, play with a guy who can stretch the field so we could really see what he could have been. Uh, he's going to be, to me, one of the great what-ifs of the last 20 years in Vandal football, and he's still produced at all league levels. Yep. And the low point, man, there's a lot to pick from it, aren't there? Um, you know, I would say Portland State. I would say Sac State because the Sac State was an embarrassing loss. But I'm going to say the what I'm really going to stick with is Paul in the athletic department, not the AD, of course, uh, but I'm talking about that Vandals account. Paul and people like that taking shots at alums every all three times 
Mason had a good game. And, you know, there was no equal response back, of course. I wouldn't want there to be this huge deal when a college guy has a rough game. I don't think that's fair. But taking the shots at fans the way they did, I hated that. You know, I, I can tell you in my head after after I saw that last one, I was really thinking, okay, do I officially choose to never not go to an Idaho game unless I get a free ticket uh, from this point on, as long as Paul's there? Like, that, that was a real... I, if you're on this podcast, you care about Vandal football. Uh, but that was something I was thinking about. You know, it's a pretty dang low point. I wouldn't be aggressively sharing a negative article um, if that didn't have a huge impact to me. Yeah. Um, I am high point, Eastern Washington, like I said. Haven't been that happy since 2016. Low point, Portland State. You know, I made the trip. I was excited about the trip. Um, I had people that don't literally don't care about vandal football at all that made the trip with me and went to the game and actually thought it was kind of fun and i just wish i could have delivered them you know when me because i'm out there playing um i wish the vandals could have delivered a win like i had told them we had a shot at doing um i don't remember that episode specifically but i do think most of us predicted that we might win that game um, except for maybe me being quirky and saying they always do the opposite of what I pick, so I'll pick us to lose, so we'll win. But um, low point was Portland State. Unlike um, Martin, I said I expected Northern Colorado, so Northern Colorado was not as much of a surprise to me. But, yeah, that that was my overall low point. Um, so last thing on 2019. Yeah, we'll save this, actually, just for a second. Uh, 2020 initial thoughts. We kind of covered on what it's going to take. Um, so maybe to kind of hey, Idaho grown T Cash's um, comments. I mean, what are your initial thoughts going into it? What are you excited about? What do you think about the schedule? Without running through every game, game by game, or anything. The you first would thing. So first thing, our um, our in conference schedule has a. I'm not going to run game by game, but in conference we have some of the marquee games we want. We have Eastern. We have Montana. Just, we have Montana State and Idaho. Should we just run through the schedule real quick so everyone that doesn't have it pulled up in front of them knows it, and then we'll just talk about it? Yeah. We'll go yeah, play sure. game by game. But your um, 2020 Idaho Vandal football schedule is you're going to open on September 5th against Western Oregon. Um, then you're at Temple. You're at Washington State. But then we have a bye week, so you'll have a nice three weeks of not being at home. But let's be honest, Wazoo is pretty much a home game. Um, then we're at UC Davis, so it's a little bit longer. Then we're home against Portland State, which is dubbed homecoming. Um, then we're at Eastern Washington, home against Montana. So that's a pretty good three-game stretch right there. Then you're home against Northern Arizona, home against Southern Utah, so you get three straight home games. Then you're at Montana State, and then you're at Idaho State to end the year. So for everyone that was wondering what our schedule was, there it is. Sorry, yeah, Brian, so, continue. Sorry, my, my, high, my big reaction is we have the, the marquee games we want in conference, the Montana, Montana State, and East, Eastern Washington, Idaho State. So I'm happy about that. Uh, the big story, I mean, the big story is obvious for us not to, again, not to assault the, the dead carcass. But a quarterback who's not Mason Petrino is going to be the big story. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, kind of, I, was, kind of I, I didn't want to say that, but that is the big thing. And I think just kind of 
it's not something people notice more. I'm also kind of intrigued to see who's going to step up and replace, be a leader on the O line that now that Noah Johnson, the four year starter, is gone. Yeah. Um, for me, we're back to a 11 game schedule. So what I just really kind of hate about this schedule is zero out of conference FCS games. I get that we had to lump together our scheduling, but I would have liked to see. There's no reason we need to go to Temple. Temple is not paying us enough money to go to Philadelphia. I like the Wazoo game. And I understand that maybe if we're not taking a big money game this year, we're going to have to schedule a team like Western Oregon, which we I think we covered you can get in for like $80,000 or something like ridiculously cheap. So that's why we do it. But then Isn't the, place, the Temple game a return from the 2013 game we won against them? Take some of that Penn State money and I don't know. Yeah. It's just I'm pretty sure that's a return from our independent schedule. Yeah, it's just Idaho is like you're sitting at this now. We have eight FCS games and they're all Big Sky. You're probably gonna that means you can only lose two in conference to make the playoffs. So, and that's like still gonna be pushing it because odds are we're probably gonna lose the Wazoo. I know they've had trouble with Big Sky teams in the past, so maybe not, but not with Idaho. <laughs> Um, and Temple, maybe. I, you know, I don't think so, but it's too far out in the season. I just don't like how it's a lot like last year where we won't know anything about this team until probably October 3rd when we play UC Davis, who will probably have a better year next year, so we won't really know anything to homecoming against Portland State on October 10th. So we could be, you know, we'll easily be in the October before we'll know anything about this team with – D2, FBS, FBS, bye. So that's what I kind of hate. I would love to see another FCS game on that schedule, especially if not replace Western Oregon and just go travel to freaking Drake or somebody, San Diego. Like, play somebody that at least counts as a playoff win or a playoff caliber win. I hate how we have three games that don't count for anything out of the get, but then Brian nailed it. I mean – the only team I'd want to replace on our schedule next year is Southern Utah with going to Cal Poly just so I could go to Cal Poly. Um, but at Idaho State, I love that at the end of the year. I think it's the only one that's scheduled like that through our schedule, which I think is through 2023. But I like Idaho State being at the end of the year. I know we'll never beat Montana, Montana State, so we won't be the root sports game. But just watching the Brawl of the Wild last week, I really want that in-state rivalry back. Like, I used to have that passion for Boise State. It's not going to happen overnight. I understand that. But I'm extremely happy Idaho State is last. We am also happy we get to go to Bozeman. I'm glad we get to play Montana and Eastern. I'm not super stoked that they're week after each other. Um, but at least it's at Eastern, so that's a pretty much another road game. So we almost have, like, our home game. So we almost have five straight home games, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it, plus Wazoo. So... Really, we have a ton of home games or feel like home games next year, so that that's kind of cool. But I would have liked to see another FCS game on that schedule. To put a button on it, I'm 100% with you on non-conference. I want us to have a playoff schedule, but I love the Big Sky schedule, yeah. All right, so that takes us to the last little bits here. Um, the Big Sky pick I haven't had time to go see how we each did last week, so maybe we'll update that on Twitter. FCS Fans Nation Pick'em Challenge is still going. Just so you guys know, we won't be having weekly football podcasts. Brian and I have got to figure out what we're doing for basketball, but there will be something. Um, 
But week 13 standings, Mitch Hopkins is at 80 points, which is good for 14th overall. Connor Lindstrom is at 69, which is good for 42nd overall. A second and obviously in our thing. Jamie Hill is at 64 for 52nd overall. TJ Hopkins is at 57 for 60th overall. And I am at 56 for 62nd overall. And for all you Vandals out there, this is the reminder because a lot of people quit playing during the playoffs because they fill out a bracket and forget you still can do a pick em challenge. So you can make up some points looking at you, Mitch, Connor, and Jamie. Like, yeah, you know, Mitch has a chance to win the whole thing. And if he quits playing, Jamie and Connor have a chance to catch him. So this competition's not over. Uh, but right now, it looks like Mitch is going to get that uh, tub of tub tokens. Time for closing the bar. But I want to take a minute and ask you guys to reflect on this year's football podcast. Martin, maybe start with you as you are a listener for all but, I believe this is only the second episode we were able to get second, you on. But yeah. Brandcast. So three total. What are your takeaways from, I guess, us this season? Uh, I, I'll be honest, I didn't listen to all of them because I was like, I got that oh, no, very superstitious person. I know. <laughs> It wasn't like I listened to like some bits, but it was like I got I get paranoid about like I was super, very superstitious. Like, oh, I listened to the podcast this week and they lost. So I was like, I don't know. Do I listen to it next week or not? But I like as far as like overall goes, like I enjoyed the whole like having like the coaches like like listening to the coaches stuff. That was probably my my favorite stuff from the whole year. Brian, first year on the podcast. What was your big takeaway? Um two big ones media days i had no strategy i had no idea what i was doing so I, i'm so happy that we got through and i have an idea of what to do um in the future to be better for you guys um otherwise with recording uh man there's a lot of research to do and also you know i listen to the podcast uh, to try to get better you know as a as a performer or as someone who's you know bringing up takes and all that and, you know, the podcast world is a little bit different than in, let's say, the world of writing or the world of teaching, where you kind of got to lead with your take instead of lead with your evidence. And that took me a little bit of time to get used to. And it's also way too easy to filibuster people without meaning to. Um, but other, otherwise, man, I love having the show. I love the Big Sky Podcast Network when it's football season. That's my podcast diet. And it's something that didn't exist a couple of years ago. Even if I weren't contributing to the club, I, I'd be listening every single week. And I, I, I absolutely love that we, we have more Big Sky content this year than there was last year. Yeah, my, my big takeaway is I'm glad we got to take a huge step forward this year. We didn't have any complaints about audio quality. We'll see. This one was kind of thrown together, and I haven't listened back to it yet. But if there was one, it would be this one. Um, you know, we were able to do so much this year with going to the Big Sky Media Days. And like Brian said, we didn't know what we were doing. And it's only going to be better from there. You know, we started this crazy idea based off listening to the Montana Mint Sports Podcast. Um, and then it's turned into now we have a partnership with them and like seven other podcasts and have a Big Sky Podcast Network with actual media personalities that are also voting in like a power rankings and betting picks and you know, even that, that's its first year, so I'm excited to see how that will take a step forward. And it, being able to have the tailgate with you guys that showed up this year was really awesome. Um, so, like, I'm just so happy with the step forward we took. And it's crazy how last year it was just TJ and I for the most part and a couple Martin episodes. And that season felt so long. I don't know if it's because everything was new and every week it felt so hectic just to get a recording and an editing because we didn't have a flow yet. 
And then this year, it's a week longer season, and it's flown by. Like it feels like just yesterday we were recording our previews with um, Bear Tycoon and even Lawrence and Kyler on the FCS preview. And like I can't believe Media Days was like God almost six months ago. So um, it's it's crazy how quick quick it went. And I just want to thank you guys for your participation. Like I said, it's only going to get better because we're only going to get better, and you guys are the meat and bones and everything that made this able to do it because I can't imagine there's that many of you that still listen when our team is this bad and as we've covered this insulting to our fan base that it's really cool to see that we still have a good relationship with you guys and can't thank you guys enough for following it and can't thank Montucky enough for sponsoring us this year um, obviously we still have basketball to do for them but um, it was really cool to get a sponsor I hope they're really happy so I can't stress it enough like our podcast, we don't usually ask you to go rate it, but we have one person gave us a bad rating for bad audio quality. I'd love for them to take a re-listen and maybe change their rating, but really happy that you guys all listen. If you could next year, just challenge you guys, especially with basketball, if the team pulls it around, start sharing this podcast a little bit more as we get better. Um, and there's, if you could, if you buy Montuckies, take a picture and just tag it and like tag us in it so that they know that their money wasn't just spent on a couple guys reading an ad at the beginning of a podcast because <laughs> um, they allowed us to get the audio equipment and be able to go to Big Sky Media Days and some of the stuff we've been able to do host a tailgate for you guys. So if they like us, hopefully it gets bigger from here and we get more sponsors or you know bigger deals. So I just want to, once again, I can't thank you guys enough for coming. We Brian already tweeted at the Grizz Fan Pod saying we're doing our best Grizz Fan Pod impersonation, but uh, we're right at two hours right now. Um. Yeah, I've got any. Don't got anything else. You can find me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond um, on Twitter, and you can always find us at Tubs the Club on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, whatever I used to say at the beginning of the old podcast. Um, and just I can't thank you guys enough. It's been awesome. Uh, Brian, where can people find you? You can find me at Brian Marceau. That's M A R C A U. Um, I think I may be done with the Montana Mint newsletter for the year. It depends on uh, how the playoffs go. So that may be done, but you'll hear me on podcasts here. Keep downloading. Um, other than that, I want to say thanks to all the graduating seniors uh, who we watched play this year. Wished it would have turned out better, but it was great. Great being able to watch all of them. And for all, to all our listeners, thanks for downloading. Thanks for, to everyone who shared. And we'll see you probably in not too long. All right, Martin. Uh, thanks, Chris and Brian, for letting me have me on for the second one this year. You can find me online at uh, at Hemi underscore seventy one, and uh, I just want to say again, it's not a big thing. It's we're still it's still a football review, but uh, come out and support the uh, women's basketball team again this year. They have been really good this year, and as Chris, you saw at the Seattle game, they they <laughs> it was a fun game, and just come out and su- come out and support them and. Come out support them, even though they they're, they're the best team at Vandal Athletics right now. And you never know, I might have a surprise interview or two maybe down the road. But yeah, nice. All right, well, Martin. It- and now it's time for the best band in all the land. Sorry, Brandon. Uh, for the ba- best band to play us out, the beer song. Go Vandal. Go Vandal.